You want me to fix you up with Ryan? I mean, I thought you said he was like a total psycho. Welcome back, everybody, to Takes of Our Lives. I'm Vince Kochi, and I'm joined by Steve Wilk. Steve, what an exciting episode. I mean, we've been teasing it. We've been teasing it. I am excited for a, a litany of reasons, but uh, it really felt right. It felt like we started the real show. We're in, baby. Have you gotten fitted for your cotillion tux yet? <laughs> no. No, but I will say, I expected the fashion to be a little worse, um, sort of... As a Veronica Mars fan, not to do too much cross-populating of that show in this one, but some of the fashion on that show really is a swing and a miss. Uh, I thought they all looked really good this episode. Are you talking specifically at Cotillion or just across the board? I think top to bottom. Yeah. Would you go tails or no tails with your tux? I gotta go tailless on the West Coast. Tailless. Okay. I think no all tails. Seth definitely had tails. I can't remember if Ryan did or not. I think Ryan was, he eschewed the tales. <laughs> Probably uh, for so the So this best. is episode four of the show and of our show. Uh, the episode is called The Debut, and that is because uh, the episode is focused around kind of two central ideas, the, the first being very quickly resolved in that the Coens formally do the paperwork to become the legal guardians of Ryan, and then the rest of the episode is staged through an annual event, as many episodes will be. Uh, this one is Cotillion, the mm. coming out party of the young men and women of Newport. Specifically the women, the Debs, if you will. Yes, uh, th- but they are escorted by young gentlemen. Sure, the white knights. And I do. <laughs> I didn't want to, this is too easy. I'm just going to do this because it's a layup. Um, it's, it seems like it's pretty much mostly, if not all, white knights, if you get my meaning here in the OC. Mm, yes. An One thing we've, we haven't really brought up yet, but the, the diversity on this show is just fully non-existent. But uh, it's, um, it's completely terrible. There, I don't, I'm struggling to think of a non-white character. Yeah, better, better. La- <laughs> the less said about that, probably the better. It just uh, <laughs> just so our listeners know, it's an extremely valid critique of the program. Yeah, um, and it, it's really on display with this very white people tradition, uh, sort of come up from the south, made its way to high society Newport, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the event of the season, as Julie Cooper so graciously reminds us with her line. This is Cotillion, the most important night of the year. Is anyone paying attention? <laughs> and then doesn't uh, Shane Lee Windley come in with the I am mommy? She's the only, <laughs> the dutiful daughter. Yes. Thank you, Shaylee. Um, When you rewatched this episode recently, I assume, mm-hmm. what stuck out to you? Uh, okay, so... We are past the pilot trilogy. Uh, we're really fully in the OC. This one actually felt like the first like episode of the OC, the way I remember it. It follows mm-hmm. the very simple episode structure that I most associate with the OC, and that is the episode starts usually in the morning, 
usually in the Cohen kitchen, or in this case, I guess they're playing video games in that kind of side living room area. Um, but yeah, so spirits are high to, to start the episode. Uh, there's usually a joke or a line or something that sends us into the um, the title sequence, which this one had as well. And then, you know, the drama that goes on throughout the episode, and then it usually ends with some, you know, big dramatic event, usually at night. And so this one kind of checked all those boxes in my mind. And uh, that's when I think about, like, the structure, very simplified, of course, but um, the structure of an OC episode. That's usually what I think of, and this one had it. Um, but yeah. Uh, well said. I think it's prototypical. Uh, that's the word I would use. Mm-hmm. A lot of future episodes, as you remarked, will will feel very similar in their construction. And honestly, kind of similar overall to this episode. Um, it's strange to hear you spring it up, but now that you do, um, it do- they do a lot of the one day one episode type constructions mm-hmm. yeah they don't really yeah this one for sure was uh, i guess it goes across two days because they there's that that party at holly's beach house the oh night before yeah Cotillion. that is an important scene oh yes <laughs> i'm sure it'll come up um i want to get in here and Please. say yeah what did you think upon your rewatch i i really liked it first of all fun episode i am and this is a it's going to dictate a a large sort of meta arc of our program uh but i'm a huge anna stan oh yes that was the biggest thing that happened this episode but yeah let me hear it i um i'm a big fan of hers and we i I have many dissertations to deliver on why (laughs) she's a great character um but i wasn't expecting her it kind of goes along with the same thing that i've been experiencing with all the episodes uh where i decompress the timeline in my mind um but i did not expect her to see her so soon of course it makes total sense the plot is like written specifically to introduce her and make her the counterpart to both ryan and seth there's this l-shaped connection between them um but i i I was surprised i was like oh this is the anna episode when i saw her come on screen and then i became a lot more cheerful yes and yeah so i did a little bit of uh you know, watching ahead uh, just to kind of get some context. But you, you, may, you, the reason you might be surprised that she shows up so early is because she does disappear for the next couple of episodes. Um, she, at the end of this episode, she mentions to Seth she's going on that sailing trip to Tahiti. And of course, oh, it's kismet. You know, she loves sailing as well. Um, mm-hmm. The gears are in motion. So that could be one reason why you, you know, don't oh, remember her coming in you until know later. What? That is such a good point. See, that's the thanks for the little bit of context. Thanks for throwing a lead line on this for me because I was in my mind she's she's really like a mid season character. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, but I, I was happy I, to see her. So the debut, the de- the debutants are being uh, you know having their debut in a Newport society. But really what it is is the debut of Anna into this show. Uh, she's just such a fresh breath of fresh air. Um, it really starts to broaden the character pool. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk much, much more about her uh, as this episode goes on. And in, in the days to come, she will be haunting my tier list. Mm. Uh, for it, It's one of the Stalking most divisive. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, the look ahead. Uh, but uh, it's one of the most divisive characters. Uh, she is one of the most diverse. She is one of the most divisive characters in my household. Okay. Uh, my my girlfriend does not like her at Dissenting all. Dissenting opinions. Oh, I'm I'm excited to hear why. 
<laughs> well, I it's not even she. Well, she's got some valid criticisms, but we can do a whole profile on Anna in a little while. But uh, what else, Steve? What else? Um, you know, small things. I loved seeing that uptight event coordinator back from the the first episode, the fashion show. Oh, I was hoping she'd make it back into the Yeah, she I love the one, two, three, one, two, three, try to enjoy this, please, when she's teaching the kids how to dance. She doesn't get a lot of screen time, but uh she makes the most of it for sure. Totally. Anything else that you uh that stuck out to you upon this rewatch? Yes. Um two things sort of broad concepts we get wrathful sandy mm. in this episode uh and uh he it, it ties closely into the b plot so we'll get into it later but um he he really shows that he's not all like tea and honey he's no. got some he's got some uh some fiery justice that he wishes to bring down upon jimmy cooper uh, now, of course, in the end, being Sandy, he uh, he pulls his punch at the last minute. But well, actually, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he sort of he sort of like gets on on board with the rest of the cast, which are sort of without any thorough explanation as to why, sort of defending Jimmy despite him being an embezzler and a financial criminal. Um. But the other thing that stuck out to me was also B-plot related. It was how genuinely awkward some of these Jimmy scenes were in a good, in, in a well-acted way. Like, mm. I had to look away at certain points. Yeah, that well, the, the financial woes B-plot kind of gets brought to the foreground. I mean, it is kind of like the, the climax of the episode is centered around that confrontation um and yeah most of the good stuff in my opinion i mean anna anna aside uh, most of the good stuff in this episode is um you know related to that b plot it kind of takes a spot in the foreground i don't don't know if i'd you know classify it as an a plot but it's 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 in a lot you know it's i'd say you know half of the show at this point is you know centered around um you know what's going on with the adults and right now at this moment it's jimmy cooper's financial trouble Absolutely true. So true, in fact, that I think we should go ahead and talk about it right off the bat in Bees Get Degrees. Bees Get Degrees, we're going to put the spotlight on this B-plot. We're classifying the Jimmy Cooper financial trouble and um, how it's affecting the other adults uh, in the OC, namely Sandy, Kirsten, and his wife, Julie. but yeah, uh, what do you what do you got to th- what do you have to say about this B plot here, Vince? Well, you you foreshadowed it nicely, Steve. It sort of invades the A plot pretty aggressively. Um, coming, we'll, we'll start at the end, Tarantino style, boiling over <laughs> uh, when uh, who I have to give a shout out to. I got his name right here. Uh, this is Christopher Cousins. Oh yeah, Ted yeah. from Breaking Bad. Did you watch Ted that show? From Breaking Bad. Uh, I haven't watched it, but he is Greg Fisher in mm-hmm. this episode, and he plays the role of a Newport area husband, dad, man, whatever, uh, <laughs> who wants to withdraw $250,000 from his investment banker, Jimmy Cooper, uh, to invest in real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem, if you'll be remembering the 
B plots of yesteryear, the first three episodes, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Cooper lost all that money. Yes. And we know because he, he took the loan from Kirsten, the 100000 which sounded like an exorbitant amount. But now, you know, he's being asked to um, take out 250000 from, you know, whatever investment accounts he's got. So us, we as the viewer know that there's no way that's going to happen. Yes. And it's protracted over, this, uh, over the course of several scenes. Uh, this guy, uh, Greg, keeps asking Jimmy and calling him and... Jimmy's deferring, and he's saying, you know, uh, this isn't the time and place to talk about it, man. You know, we can settle this at my office. But he, he's he's doing the the William H. Macy and Fargo thing where he's just trying to kick the can down the road for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the can stops at Cotillion. <laughs> and during the opening dance, Greg and Jimmy erupt into some sucker-punching histrionics. Yes, as that that was a real Will Ferrell that escalated quickly moment. <laughs> yes, yes. Jimmy has this wistful line, and he's like, "Don't the girls look beautiful?" And he's just trying to like ignore all the troubles that he's wrought. And then <laughs> Greg, Greg's not having it. He starts saying, he starts screaming. He's a thief. He stole our money. Well, he's back up just a second there. So, the, yeah, they're, they're ha- Jimmy's, like you said, he's kicking the can down the road. He's like, we'll, t- we'll deal with this on Monday. You know, like, come to the office. I'll explain everything. Greg gets the idea. Greg kind of is putting it together. He's like, okay, what is what is he not telling me? Um, so, you know, finally he's like, wait, you, you don't have it? Like, you've it's gone? And he's like, and Jimmy's like, well, there's been some bad investments, some bad accounting. And Greg immediately goes to, whoa, are you telling me you lost everything? Like, he just yeah. he really jumps towards that. And then he from does. there, he doesn't let he Jimmy, does. you know, like, admit it or not. Um, he just loses his mind very quickly and, uh, yeah, does the punch onto the dance floor. Um, and then Oof. another punch while he's on the ground. Yeah, he hits him. He goes over, slugs him while he's on the ground. Peter Gallagher, Sandy Cohen, runs in. He gets pff, one <laughs> shot. <laughs> he gets yeah, taken he out right away. Like a bag of doorknobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then who else but uh, Ryan comes in lineman tackles. Yeah, he does the Goldberg Greg. spear to get uh, Greg to the ground there. Yep. Wraps him up. That's a good form tackle with the shoulder there. Um, and he apologizes to Kirsten at the end, but Kirsten like gives him a gives him a break. Uh, I love I love this episode's B plot mostly because the episode is sort of it, it's hyper focused on the B plot in a way that most episodes aren't. But uh, it is full of drama. It's full of this creeping escalation, and then the the lid gets blown the frick off at the end. Yes, <laughs> it's awesome. Indeed, doesn't really get resolved either. Greg gets kind of like told to leave, and then the police show up. So we don't know if if Greg is uh, is he on the lamb at this point or. You think he'd be charged? What's that? You'd think he'd be charged for. Oh, I think so. Assault. Uh, he did. He did. I, I, I'm guessing. I'm not remembering. You you watched ahead, so you'll know this. But it seems like an OC thing to do for the next day for, like, Tate Donovan. I keep calling him Tate Donovan because I love him so much. Jimmy Cooper to be like, uh, I don't want to press charges because the less police activity around me, the better. 
Yeah, I got to be honest. I don't remember Greg showing up again. Holly certainly does. Uh, no spoilers for our listeners who haven't been watching ahead. But um, yeah, Holly plays a crucial role in uh, later plots. But um, yeah, Greg. I can't and Holly is I... Greg's daughter. Correct. Yeah, the un- up to now unnamed blonde friend of Marissa. Yeah, so she's graduated out of Karen status. <laughs> Karen, no, Karen, Karen is supposed to be for Julie Cooper's friends. Right? I'm reserving Karen for any adult uh, female of yes. the Orange County community. Totally fair. Um, any any lingering notes on the B plot? Yeah, the, the, I, the I introduction wanna, is cool too. I want to go ahead. Start with well, I, I I'll break down that scene in the restaurant a little bit later because I really really like that where he get the first time uh, Greg or as I'd like to call him Ted from Breaking Bad uh, confronts <laughs> Jimmy, and much much less much more civilized in that scene. But uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I'll just do a quick breakdown of kind of because I think the the stuff with Sandy and Kirsten is really interesting as well. Uh, that yes. you know revolving around this uh, Jimmy B plot. So the first scene where Jimmy approaches Sandy when he gets back from surfing. There's a really nice interaction that made me laugh between those two, where Sandy's like very nonplussed, and he's just like, how much money did you lose? Jimmy's like, oh, it's not important. There's like a beat, and then he goes, how'd you lose it? It's like, look, the important thing is, I don't know what we'd do without (laughs) friends like you. I really like that. Um, So, and then, so then, okay, moving on, the SEC investigator shows up at Sandy's office, kind of gives him the lowdown of what's happening with Jimmy. Also, Sandy's super nonplussed when that guy shows up. He's just like, okay, and... uh, and then it leads to the confrontation between Sandy and Kirsten, where we get yeah. the excellent exchange, the put your personal feelings for this guy aside. Forget about your personal history. He's one of my oldest friends. That shows mm. up a lot in like scenes, like, you know, they do the scenes from last week or whatever on the show. I just, that, that dialogue exchange is somehow burned in my brain. Uh, I think it's just from them showing it over and over again. But that's great shit. Um, and then you get the Kirsten confronts Jimmy, and Julie, you know, kind of slides in with the, 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 oh, a quickie, huh, line? <laughs> great. A great Julie Cooper line. She's really spreading her, her bat wings, her oh, yeah. black, villainous Ursula. I know Ursula has tentacles, not wings, but you get it. <laughs> Maybe a Melissa, Maleficent uh, reference. Yes, would thank be. you. <laughs> Much more appropriate. But yeah, I really like how this B-plot it has the extra layer of Jimmy and Kirsten's past relationship to make it just even more fraught for everyone involved sandy and julie namely it's the important way to get sandy into the plot and it's awesome it mm-hmm. it, it it's so like it's juicy that's what it is it's juicy entirely and then and then that scene you know concludes with jimmy just who is like kind of like a blubbering pathetic gambling addict just saying i just need that one stock that one stock and she's like <laughs> yeah. actually what you need is help like this is you know you gotta fess up but let's get your take on this. I would love, I would love a take. Um, at the end of that scene, Jimmy has a look of resignation, and he seems to agree that he needs help. Yes. So here's my take. I think that Jimmy, cause, and this is brought to light in the scene that we just broke down, the fight scene, because he does seem, when he tells Greg, I don't have it, he is kind of like, He's kicking the can down the road in the sense that he's like, let's talk about this on Monday. But he's also not like shying away from he, he does tell him and he is kind of, you know, he seems a little at least somewhat at peace with it that he's like, yes, yes like this there I can't run him from this forever. And yeah, I think may, I mean, 
you can make the argument that, you know, the conversation he has with Kirsten is kind of what, what brings him around on that. Um, I think that that's a good take, but yeah, I agree that he totally at that point is like, okay, it's time to, time to get real here. Well said. Um, I, I think the future of this B plot is resolution. I think, I think we're on the road to resolution for the Cooper financial meltdown. Yeah. It's, it's come to a head for sure. The SEC is now, you know, like confront has confronted the Cohen household because of the loan that they gave him. Um, you know, Jim. They use the E word embezzlement. Mm-hmm. The yeah. this is the, also the first time that we see other members of the community starting to get a sense that Jimmy Cooper is, uh, you know, not what he says he is uh, in terms of <laughs> an investing guru. Um, <laughs> he's, he's quite the opposite yeah because up um, until now it's just kirsten sandy and julie who uh who know the the truth but yeah now with the introduction of greg um and and of course now that you know he's he's screamed he's a thief at the cotillion so everybody in the community is now at least <laughs> he's planted the seed that something is happening here yeah it's all over it's all over um that was yeah great b plot and uh, one of my favorite throughout the entire history of the show. So uh, glad to see it come to a boiling point uh, in this episode. There was, a, uh, talking about boiling, Steve, this is an expert segue. <laughs> uh, there were some love shapes. I was going to say triangle, but it's more like a hexagon, I guess. Uh, and I would like to use that as my jumping off point into my O scene. If I could be so bold. Please. The O scene, the scene that makes us say, oh, uh, this week I've picked one that was extra steamy. Uh, Throughout the episode, we have these moments of chemistry, the percolation between uh, Ryan and Melissa. And this is something you might expect. Whoops. Uh, (laughs) Marissa, uh, the the moments of percolation between the chemistry of Ryan and Marissa, and this is something you might expect if you it's it's not like coming out of left field. They're sort of clandestine to be together. The romance is well set, uh, but there are a couple of the classic as you described it last week, Steve. The walk behind teach you how to golf moment. Mm. Uh, we have first the latching of a dress strap where Ryan is about to tell Marissa that he can't go to Cotillion. But then, after examining the nape of her neck, <laughs> he's moved to say otherwise, and he, he decides to go after all. He then, really, during, she, she really turns him to stone there with a look at the end, when after he gets done like strapping her or helping her out there. Um, yeah, and I just got to say it. I'm not going to belabor is the word of the podcast. I'm not going to belabor this, but I just got to... One time for Misha Barton. She is like stunningly beautiful. But that's all oh, yeah. that's she's, all I had to she's say a about swan. that. Uh captivating. Totally. It's now it's been said and it's out there. <laughs> and everyone knows our take on Misha Barton. <laughs> um but Ben McKenzie agrees with us in this scene because he is frozen solid and he uh he decides he's gonna go to Cotillion and then we get a redux of this scene when he and Anna played by, is it Samir Armstrong? 
Oh, I didn't. I didn't look this up. I didn't. Yeah, for some reason, I'll call Peter Gallagher. I'll call Sandy Peter Gallagher all day. But some some of the actors, I don't. Uh, you know, even bother to look up their names. <laughs> Luke being well, one of I'm them. I think I called him Chris Chris McCormack at one point. I think it's Chris Carmack. But that's that'll be the last time I say that name as well. <laughs> uh, well, she's introduced in the scene, and they're both from the wrong side of the tracks, or not the wrong side of the tracks, but other sides of various tracks, I guess I would say. Yeah, Pittsburgh, uh, I guess if, in, from because Summer gives the ooh to Pittsburgh, um, so yeah, we can say that Pittsburgh, in the eyes of your general OC um, uh, person who lives in that community, that yeah, Pittsburgh just the entire city itself itself is on the wrong side one big slum (laughs) (laughs) um well so anyway they're about to dance but they don't know how to dance neither of them can dance and so marissa comes and shows them and places ryan's hands on her hips and hers over his shoulder and then they share this very long sort of sexual moment where they're staring at each other and holding each other and then anna is like between them like gazing on voyeuristically mm-hmm. and i was like wow this the chari- the the charisma is not the right word the chemistry? pure raw chemistry in this scene despite misha barton's track record with sort of hitting and missing it's really in full force there. And I, I had to look away. I was like, these are 17-year-old kids. I can't be watching this. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I really like the, the uh, chemistry that Ryan and Anna have, kind of just as friends. I think they, they, she gets into some good-natured ribbing on him pretty quick, and it feels organic. Um, but just one, going back to that scene quick, when they do a close-up of Ben McKenzie's hand, can't my guy get a hand double here? It looks like his thumb was smashed with a car door. that's what i noticed that's the level (laughs) steve that is the level of detailed analysis that i (laughs) look to you for and i i didn't notice it but i'm gonna have to do a rewatch rewatch because yeah take a look at that his thumb is all purple and like mangled (laughs) what that's incredible um but yeah, that yeah, tender, very tender about scene. Anna and Ryan is, is a good one. Yeah, um, and it gets interrupted by Luke, of course, using another homophobic, you know, I guess it's not a slur, but he's, you know, like accusing Ryan. An invocation. Of, yeah. Just, yeah. The, I'm Hopefully this show gets away from that. That's, I mean, I know it's all, it's, it's in the can, as they say, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The one, the one minor silver lining is that he's played as like an absolute abject moron. And yeah. He's like the bad guy. So it's like we all we're supposed to get that that is bad. Um, For sure. But still, he's a little cavalier about it. The show's a little cavalier about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that made me say, oh, in not a bad way, not a laughing way, but in a sort of forbidden way, Steve. What made you say, oh, this week? Okay. Um, so I've got two. And one of them is not so much a scene as it is anytime Anna is on screen. Uh, I really, really liked just her entrance in general. She doesn't take shit from Summer. Uh, you know, she she gets, she you know, Summer kind of gives her the, ooh, you're from Pittsburgh thing. And she just kind of skates right by it. Um, she, I really like that she has like the intuition that Ryan has a thing for Marissa and then, you know, kind of, like I said before, I think that the, 
the chemistry in this episode between Anna and Ryan, I actually like quite a bit. Um, but, and she, you know, so as they're dancing, she's like, oh, wait, you're the, you're the kid from Chino that burns down houses and steals cars, right? And he's kind of like, uh-oh. Is she, you know, Newport's yeah. most wanted, she says. Yeah. And sort of a little bit of a tagline for him. For sure. And she's psyched by it. She's not, you know, you'd think like your, your typical Newport uh, noopsie in training, if you will, would be um, turned off by that. But no, she's, she's titillated by it. Uh, but yeah, I just like, I really, she's got a great energy. Uh, she's independent, she's confident, and she's decent, uh, which is like pretty stark contrast from the females on the show, other than Marissa, who, you know, I guess isn't either independent or confident. I guess she's, you could say she's decent at this point, but you know, Holly and Summer, you know, definitely don't have those characteristics. Um, and you know, she's Anna, she's just super comfortable with herself. Um, but yeah, so I like, I like her introduction. Uh, I don't know if I'm uh, I don't know if I'm excited or afraid for what sort of Anna fan cast this show oh is boy. going to become. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I'm not going to I'm not going to make a point of bringing it up every single episode. I think this is a, this is kind of like a unique case because at this point we've gotten through 3 episodes and no new characters have been introduced. True. Yes. She, so yeah, her her introduction here is I'm I'm putting a spotlight on it this episode. I don't know if I'm going to give her this much time every episode, but uh I can tell you right now I am going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, kidding, kidding. But uh yeah, you make a good point. So that that's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. She is she owns her scenes, mm-hmm. but owns them gently. I really love uh again the Anna and Ryan when she confronts him after he comes back to Cotillion and she's like your hitman took care of it. I didn't feel a thing. And then she's so clever. Yeah. And she's like, and he's like, well, what is he's like, you know, well, what are you going to do? And she's like, oh, so now you care. And then she's just like, get out of here. But in a, like a fun, playful <laughs> way. Uh, and then to, to cap it off, she, she approaches Seth, questions his manhood, which I, I mean, I'm not sure if I loved that, but she gives us maybe, so I would say, in my opinion, um, welcome to the OC bitch is the most memorable line from the series, but one, if maybe the second, maybe, you know, we'll see as this goes on, but, uh, confidence Cohen, she gives him the pep talk and, uh, you know, tells her basically to take me as the date to cotillion. And, uh, she creates a monster in this moment, uh, a monster we all love, but it's, it's true. It's sort of, um, it flips a switch and it changes Seth from sidekick to really one of the main driving forces of the plot going forward. Really, yeah, and, and it, uh, it sparks the fire that is the Seth, Summer, Anna love triangle, which really just, like, puts the Luke, Marissa, Ryan love triangle to shame. I mean, that, that love trial just triangle looks like dog shit compared to uh, the Seth, Summer, and Anna as the Such a great on. take. I wish we would disagree on takes every once in a while, but that is just, like, a foundationally good take. I have a diagram drawn on my notebook here, and it says... Uh, have you I, I call it shipping routes do you know the concept of shipping steve i do do you, you want to explain it to our listeners that don't yes of course um it's basically when fans of a show uh create in fan works or in just the meta conversation about a show uh romantic relationship between two characters that don't have one on screen yes they're uh, wishing or, it's the will there or won't they the the maybe the most obvious or classic example is the jim and pam in the office i mean that that was kind of like forecasted so hard that you could 
most fans probably wouldn't ship them. It's usually with characters that are like less likely to actually hook up. But um, yeah, think yeah. Of that. If you're if you're part of the Dwight Pam fandom, oh god, then you would be a, you'd be a shipper, a cursed shipper. But yeah, that's a, <laughs> a cursed pairing. So I have I have this six sided shape, and it says Anna X Seth X Summer, and then Ryan is connecting them both in a square. Ryan and Anna question mark. Ryan and Summer question mark. Yes, the because... summer. The summer. Sorry to interrupt, but I. This is no, something please. I was not planning on bringing up. But the summer, like, still being interested in Ryan, um, like this far into the series, that is something that I definitely did not remember. I know that it's you just know, it's, so weird. It, it is. It's like they didn't know what to do with Summer's character really in the these first handful of episodes. She's all over the place. Feels super forced. Agreed. Totally. And then we get a Summer X Luke moment where she's gonna do. She's gonna. She's like, oh, this isn't so bad. She's like gonna. She's gonna be introduced by him because he broke up with Marissa at the last minute. But then he doesn't go at all, and so that finishes that side of the shape. And then obviously Ryan X Marissa completes it. But uh, what a what a tangled web they wove for us. Indeed. Well, yeah. It's, I, the cotillion was a nice uh, kind of like setting for all of this because you're kind of forced you're you're forced to be in a pair even if it's you know against your will in the case of like summer and seth at first and then there's all these you know like pairs breaking up and other pairs coming together kind of just out of necessity to like perform you know do this performative act of a cotillion but yeah uh without your diagram that would be very confusing to follow (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was a lot of fun uh summer's despair over her increasingly worse luck was very funny. Yeah, really. The first she, genuinely so who, funny who summer moment of this. Who case. actually introduces Summer? We don't get that scene. She doesn't go up. She's she doesn't oh, go no. on, on in the show. She doesn't go. Sad. Indeed. Get some F Sir Bilson in the chat, please. Um <laughs> Okay, so I do have one more O scene. Uh, it's not. It's back back to the uh, Jimmy Cooper and Greg uh, confrontation, part one, I would say, um, where they he gets confronted with Adam with the or he confronts him at the restaurant. Greg does, yes. um, and it's very civilized. You know, it's very uh, you know polite, and um, you know, we can kind of start to see Jimmy sweat a little bit. You know, when he's like. Oh, are you sure you want to take the two hundred fifty thousand out just when the market's about to shift? And at that moment, his card gets declined. Which, I, if you've ever suffered the indignity of a, a credit card getting declined, while someone, especially if someone you know is like standing right next to you, uh, just just really starting to pile on for Jimmy in that moment. Um, but yeah, I like that. And and like I said before, it's kind of the first time that we see. Um, Someone outside, you know, from the community at large uh, gets a whiff that, you know, Jimmy might be in some financial trouble. In yeah, addition the to breaking that, breaking of the, the story. Really. Yeah. The other thing that maybe say, oh, is I'm going back for my Breaking Bad heads out there. Uh, so we've got Ted, who plays Greg, or Ted from Breaking Bad, the actor, I can't remember his name, but playing Greg here. And then the cashier at the restaurant looks exactly like Anna Gunn, who plays Skylar, uh, who's like the the female protagonist of the show. Uh, I looked this up on IMDb. Couldn't see any credits of her in the OC from 03 here, but uh I it's it's a it's a full-on double. Uh so that was fun for as a Breaking Bad fan. Are we is this remade. like a, the first suggestions that we might have like a presence in the Breaking Bad verse? It's possible. I mean they so 
Breaking Bad spoilers out there for everyone, but Ted and Skyler do uh, hook up in that show. So um, it was fun to see them on screen. Even if it was just her doppelganger, uh, it was fun to see them on screen in a fully <laughs> different show. So that's all. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the. I like how it starts real civilized between Greg and Jimmy, and then it devolves quickly uh, at the Cotillion. Oh, yeah, and the primal moron monkey fist fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty brutal. Um those were some good O scenes, dude. Yeah. And I think this week we did all O scenes that were like action or romance or suspense. So it clears the way for our next segment, which is the takedown breakdown. Let's get into it. And in the takedown breakdown, we're going to sort of pick apart some of the unintentional comedy uh, that was present. Uh, and it's present in many episodes in this show, but... Uh, I think there are some really good candidates this time around. I I have one that I'm dying to talk about, but I want you to start off here. Oh, okay, okay. I want to start out with, and this is not a soapbox, and we've mentioned it before, but I've coined a acronym. It's called a GBS. It's a gratuitous bikini scene or a gratuitous bra scene, whichever you'll prefer. Ah, we get we get double duty of the GBS in this episode. <laughs> because they're sort of fulfilling the same insidious role in the program <laughs> which is just some conspiracy to put bilson in as little clothing as possible in as many scenes as possible yes i and, brought this up uh in the last episode i think they, they really kind of go out of their way to uh get bilson in with no top on <clears throat> absolutely and maybe i was acutely aware of it because you brought it to my attention but it's just like in five different scenes in mm-hmm. this episode and it's t- it's terrible and I, I can, you know, a little bit of reading around the subject, uh, it was pretty clear that, uh, you know, Bilson didn't like this, and it d- goes away later in the season. But, um, yeah, it's such a waste of her character, because Bilson is so good, but the Summer character early on is literally just something to gawk at, and that's... Truly, yeah, she's she hasn't really, you know, turned at all yet. She's extremely, you know, snotty, entitled, and obnoxious and objectified so yeah it really strikes across the board <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah come Let's on take OC that writers. one down get your shit together here <laughs> well called out steve <laughs> uh i got i got another one this is much more lighthearted. uh the series ongoing flirtation with what you might you might generally broadly call nerd culture mm. and this is required because seth is a nerd and anna it turns out is a nerd also. Yeah. Uh, so they have to sort of interface with some parts of that culture while keeping it at least relevant enough for the references to not go over everybody's heads. There's a couple really interesting ones in this episode, and I want to get your takes on them. Please. So first, the game that uh, Sandy, Seth, or Seth Ryan, and then Sandy and Ryan, very cute scene, are playing together. Do you know the game? Oh no! I, I had this actually. Uh, I was gonna start the show with there when they were playing that game in the opening scene. I think it's a different game because there's no ninjas, but there's just a very large gorilla. I I, I, was, I wanted to know what that one was, but the ninja game, um, it looked familiar, uh, but I I don't know the name of it. Do you have you done your research here? No, I think I know it without research. So this is me opening the floor to our fans to write in angrily and tell me <laughs> I'm wrong. I believe it's the original Dynasty Warrior for okay. PlayStation. It's um, it's like a hack and slash game, cooperative. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. it looked kind of like a yeah, because Ryan mentions just follow me through the forest and we'll try to get out of this thing. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a, a beat 'em up. Uh... Exactly. Uh, so I thought the video game playing of that, where they're reaching their arms out, mashing, being very animated, <laughs> it's cl- classic TV foible. Uh, and the OC, unfortunately, does not get it right where so many have gotten it wrong. They get it wrong as well. Uh, completely absurd video game playing antics. It's yeah, and people actually do Seth, it. again, comes back to the shit talking while playing video games, which I just find really obnoxious. Did you, I mean, when you were in the basement, you know, when you were in high school playing with your buddies, were, were you like talking mad shit back and forth? I don't remember doing that. If you win, like, I, I'm remembering winning at like Super Smash Bros, the original. You might give them like a, like a get got at the end, like a, <laughs> just a, like a, a, a very mild punctuation. A side eye. Of, yeah. Of you raise one eyebrow. <laughs> there was usually no room for shit talking because everyone who lost was always excuse making. So there was like, mm. they, they were like shit talking themselves essentially. But no, none of this like straight out of the can quipping at him. Yeah. Right. Fight. Oh, you think so, huh? Oh, oh, you th- oh, right. Yeah, I like that stuff. That's not how it works. <laughs> no, no, no. Another one. The comic book says graphic novels conversation. Mm, yes. That was kind of cringeworthy. I don't know. I, cringeworthy is such like an overused term, and I, I don't like to invoke it, but I sort of, I was like, yikes. I was Are totally they- like this, you know, we, we've praised Anna a lot in this episode, but the, her saying, um, you know, talking about how she reads comics and, oh, by the way, I call them graphic novels. You know, if everyone did, maybe the whole, you know, medium wouldn't be so marginalized. That, like, monologue was very uh, reminiscent to me of Misha Barton listing punk bands. Like, this person <laughs> does not read comics. And if and anyone who did wouldn't, like, I don't know, be so defiant in how they're, you know, categorized so that, like, mainstream popular culture would, like, respect them more. That's That's my take. Great take and terrible, terrible sequence, terrible line read, and she gets one more in. Unfortunately, my fave, my my little sister Anna, she calls Marissa Princess Mononoke. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Completely, it's not a comic book thing. It's a Studio Ghibli animation. It's an animated film. Uh, it, I don't. I don't want to go into a dissertation about the film. Suffice to say, it's a complete. It doesn't make any sense at all. Call no, it, yeah. The princess in that movie is not very princessly. She's not like a this porcelain doll, which is what Anne is trying to insinuate about Marissa. Right. It's a bad. It's a bad uh, parallel to draw there. Yeah. So it's a non-parallel. It's just like they're like, what's a, like a princess we could say? Right, that's not like you know Sleeping Beauty or whatever, like a very a super obvious like Disney one. Like, yeah, what's the what's the comic book girl gonna call? You know, what's the first princess that comes to her mind? Yeah, exactly. That's what it felt like. Swing and a miss. A lot yeah, of I also and misses with nerd culture. Do you, another nerd culture thing just about this show? The way that they're casually just reading comic books in any scene when someone walks into a room. Uh, this happens quite a bit in this episode. Like Ryan, when when he's like, "I'm not going to Cotillion," he's just like casually reading a comic. Seth is just like lounging on, you know, in an easy chair reading a comic at one point. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, 
I don't remember that much casual comic book reading when I was in high school. I mean, I read my fair share of comics, but it was mostly, you know, privately in my bedroom, not just kind of like sprawled out around the house. I think they kind of like, and it, it made me think like what these kids would really be doing in 2019 is just scrolling on their phone. But in 2003, they're just like, you know, lazily leafing through comics. Uh, I just thought that was kind of, I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, it didn't stick out to me, but now that you bring it up, it's, it's pretty weird. I find to find it, um, pretty in character for Seth. Yeah, for sure. Ryan leafing through it. I don't know if we're supposed to sort of take that he's assimilating to the, the Cohen casual way of life or, if he's if we're supposed to hint at an interest or if they just were like ben mckenzie you got to be doing something when they walk into the yeah right room like grab whatever props closest yeah i get the sense that they're just kind of left like they're strewn around the cohen home and he's just like picking it up just to like pass the time just idly like and like oh, okay maybe not even like fully reading it or understanding what the you know what's happening in the story but just like something to look at that's you know, it's about two people paper. punching each other, though. He probably has a pretty good beat <laughs> It's relevant to his interests. Uh, what do you want to take down? Great Steve? segue into my takedown. Okay, so I mentioned this before, but the Luke, Marissa, Ryan love triangle is just, like, so clumsy and, like, non-interesting. And the scene that I want to highlight, we're, we're at another party at Holly's Beach House where you can just drink and grill to your heart's content um there's so we've got another like master stroke of dialogue writing here um between uh ryan marissa and luke they do like this weird who's on first routine uh when ryan when luke confronts <laughs> ryan about talking to marissa uh and this is just like the this is very like typical of the clumsy shit we get with this love triangle so luke confronts ryan for talking to marissa at this beach party um Luke walks up to him. He's like, I'm trying to understand. There's all these people here and you only want to talk to her. Marissa. Hey, I wanted to talk to him. Luke. Babe, why don't you go talk to Summer? Marissa. Or you can and I'll continue talking to Ryan. Ryan, it's okay. I'm just going to go. Marissa, no stay. Luke. Don't tell him he can stay. Ryan. Don't tell her what to do. Luke. I thought you were leaving. And then it ends with Luke punching Ryan, uh, which always, you know, inevitably always happens uh, with this, any confrontation between these two, it just resorts to violence. And yeah, I don't know. It's just that, that whole beach scene I thought was, or the, the um, beach house party scene was just really, really bad. Uh, What a mess. It's just like, yeah, it's. This is what we get out of this love triangle. And then when you're comparing it now into what, you know, in later episodes, what happens between um, Summer, Anna, and Seth, it's just, there's, it's infinitely more interesting. Totally right. I want to tack on quick, a quick slap to Luke's face when he realizes that Ryan is staying in Newport. Oh, yeah. He, it's not going to, it's not going to translate to radio very well. But he just, he hits us with this. A second of silence on either side of it. And he goes, he's what? (laughs) (laughs) Just the most baffled, like, first day of acting school surprised. He does do, like, the bug eyes, too. I remember that scene. Yeah. Exactly. It's truly terrible from Chris Carmack there. (laughs) Any more breakdowns, Steve? How about any more takedowns? 
Um, I think that was the only takedown I had uh, in this episode. Um, that was just the part that stuck out to me though, as just by far the worst. And just like, it was yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't want to just keep beating this into the ground, but this every time that there's a confrontation between these three, it's like poorly written and un- uninteresting. Well said. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not the last we're going to get. No. There's plenty more of this on our plate, Steve. So. <laughs> Strap in. Uh, should we make a judgment call? Is this episode foundation or filler, Steve? Okay, I'm going to say this is our first filler episode. But with that said, I think this is probably the most delightful of uh, the four that we've watched. Um, I don't think there's anything in this episode that I would, other than the introduction of Anna, um, but then she goes away for the next like two or three. So it can't be, you know, it's, she's not that important, at least at this point. Um, really like the vibe of this episode. Uh, there was some great moments, uh, mostly revolving around Jimmy Cooper. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it a soft filler. I'm right there with you. I have filler, but it's close. Um, it, do, it just feels like a classic filler episode. If you, if you skipped it, you wouldn't miss too much. The only sort of formative thing that happens is that Ryan is formally uh, adopted, you could say, into guardianship by the Cohen family, but that happens within the first five minutes. The rest of it is sort of a romp. Uh, I think it's also an important time to talk about the fact that filler is not a dirty word in terms of our appraisal, at least my appraisal of yeah, no. Sometimes the filler episodes can be some of the most fun. That's what I, that's my, that's my take as well. That, yeah, you, filler is actually kind I actually, when I think about what I like about this show, it is kind of like the moments in between. Um, but yeah. So yeah, filler, it's, we agree, we've agreed it is a filler episode, but that doesn't detract it from its quality. Filler, but good filler, like, um, like a Danish. <laughs> a uh, cream cheese, uh, filling in, yeah, a delicious pastry flaky pastry flaky pastry is a good way to describe the love triangle between luke and ryan (laughs) uh should we go into the tier list steve yeah let's do it cool so to remind listeners what was yours last week last week i had ryan in the five spot which was controversial you uh took me to task for that one but um, (laughs) i never wavered ryan at five seth four julie kirsten and sandy um keep in the number one slot and for you for me i had julie in the five spot seth at four kirsten three sandy at a brief step away from king of the hill at two and then the very controversial which we we hashed out ryan at number one so what happened this week i'm gonna start off at five jimmy uh re-enters my tier list um he gets rocked by Ted, uh, or I guess Greg in this case, but uh, he's finally he's finally coming to grips with his situation, um, and yeah, I, I so I've got him at the five spot. That's I have him at five as well. I had a sort of a crowded five spot. I kind of wanted Kirsten. I yep. kind of wanted Anna, uh, but Jimmy oh. really he he's in too many good scenes. And a little bit of good physical acting as well. He gets hauled off on, and he <laughs> he really sells it. Yeah. Um. That. Okay. So I. Yeah. Kirsten. I. I couldn't put her in. Uh, I just didn't think she had enough screen time. Um. In my Agreed. opinion. 
But okay, so you have uh, we both have Jimmy at five. Who's your four? Julie's my four, Ooh. and um, I I love she she didn't have that much screen time in this episode. It should be said, but the ooh a quickie. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. That was like that's devilish. And then real she jab. The she really yeah she really shivs him there. <laughs> yeah, right between the ribs. Um, and then she has the devilish, almost almost too villainous. Uh, when Marissa is discussing breaking up with Luke, she says, er, Marissa says, I'm sorry. And then Julie says, no, you're not. But you will be. But you will be. And she intends it, I think, my take is she intends it as you'll regret your decisions. Like you're making a decision out of emotion that isn't good for your long-term plans. But it sounds like a threat to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Yes, indeed. Who did you have it for? For I put Marissa um, for these reasons. So she ditches Luke, uh, maybe just for the moment, um, but she she does the right thing there. Uh, she totally leaves Ryan speechless at that scene at her house, um, which I liked a lot. Uh, but most importantly, she just completely dunks on her mom when Ryan asks her to be his date. And when Julie and uh, Marissa are just standing right there, and Ryan comes up, he's like, there, "I hear there's a white knight available." And Julie's like, uh, that's not appropriate. And Marissa's like, I'll go get dressed. And then Julie's just <laughs> left standing there like the Jonah Hill meme where he's just like, well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself. <laughs> so good shit yeah. from her. Uh, good. That's a good pick. I'm sort of regretting. I don't have Marissa on mine. I'm regretting it lightly. But um, yeah, great pick. I like her there. Okay. Who do you, who's your three? Ryan's my three. Um, he has momentum. But he's he's fading. He has some fun, neat scenes. He seems genuinely conflicted. He doesn't want to go because even though he wants to go, he doesn't want to do the Cohen's dirty by getting into fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. He's worried Luke is going to start something. He takes a gut shot, doesn't fight back. Loved that scene. I even rewatching it, kind of knowing what happens, I still thought he was going to fucking fight him again. I thought they were going to get into it at the at Holly's party, but. Uh, he he sucks up his pride at multiple moments in the episode and, uh, you know, carries himself with a plum. And then, of course, his half of the Ryan-Anna uh, kind of like friend sparks, friend chemistry Yeah, um, is good. He's, he's good. He's at ease in those scenes. Good call. I like that call. He didn't make mine. Uh, I just didn't have room for him. But I, yeah, I think you made some good points there uh, with Ryan. Number Could three, three? I three. Number three, I had Seth. Um, I really love the the kind of like double joke that he has in the early parts of the episode where they like Sandy and uh, Kirsten come up to him and like, Seth, we got to talk to Ryan. And he's like, if this had anything to do with the rug. And then like, they're like, what rug? And he's like, never mind. And then that gets brought up again. He's like, if this had anything to do with the vase. And I just thought that was funny. Um, but yeah. yeah, more importantly, gets the pep talk from Anna. Uh, and then makes Summer jealous. She comes back to him after she dumped him and he does that weird like cabbage patch dance move but like just blows right by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, so I, good shit from Seth in this episode. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't just wilt. Um, but yeah. No, and that, that transitions into my number two which is Seth for all the same reasons. Um, he, he flourished in the environment of Cotillion. The quick, the breakneck flip from hating this sort of thing 
to when he could be with Summer, loving this sort of thing. He's dragging Ryan along at every turn. He's a good dancer, weirdly. Like, mm. he knows how to dance. That's, like, a cool little character development. Uh, he, he sort of betrays that at the end with the move that you described as cabbage <laughs> patching. Uh, but during the formal dance, he sort of knows where to go and how to do it. Uh, speaks a little to his pedigree, which he doesn't often embrace. And then um, he he has the he has the chops at the end, and it, it makes me wistful for what I wish happened. I'm a huge Seth X Anna ship master, mm. and uh, that's my it's my preferred fan canon. But um, we don't need to get down that road yet. He's a really he's really good in the episode. Is basically what I mean to say. Captaining the Anna and Seth ship. To Tahiti. <laughs> yeah, to Tahiti. Let's go. Okay. Uh, great. So Who's Seth your number is your two? two. My two is, okay, brace yourself, everyone, listeners, Vince. Uh, Sandy has fallen to my number Ooh. two spot. Okay. Still okay. excellent shit from him. Um, you're still on probation, and child services will be up our ass all the time. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Uh, love when he's like taking down Jimmy when Kirsten comes to him at his office and he's talking about how Jimmy's a spoiled Newport brat. And then she's like, oh, like me. And he's like, no, not like you. You would never lie. You would never steal. Great shit. Um, playing the video game with Ryan. That was a great, good, good bonding moment for those two. And then when he like super, when he's getting super into it and he's like, Ryan, I've totally annihilated all the other ninjas. <laughs> awesome excellent awesome shit one. and then and then even though he didn't want to go to cotillion because he didn't want to you know be in jimmy cooper's presence and then he ends up going and um kind of defends jimmy cooper he does so yeah he's got that great line kirsten's like you couldn't have put on a tux and he's like take your battles <laughs> that was good um well we don't have to we don't have to stay on sandy too much because he's my number one for exactly all the reasons you outlined we already talked about it when he gives him like the completely innocent, almost naive, like, how much money did you steal? Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you steal it? <laughs> I love that. It's so good. And we get the first surfing Sandy, um, which is one of my fave. He, he always just seems so happy. I wonder if Gallagher actually likes to surf in real life. If he doesn't, he's that's that's the opposite of the uh, does Anna read comic books and does Marissa listen to punk music. He, he seems like a surfer. Totally. I could totally Absolutely. see him out there. Maybe not a great surfer, but he doesn't care. It's not about being good. It's just the, yeah, the the peace, the sense of the sense of peace he gets from being out on the ocean. Totally. Uh oh, drum roll. So wait, I'm who's your two? I'm gonna do it on my desk here. Who who's number one, Steve? Who's your two? I'm sorry, did I? Did we miss? Yeah, we. Seth was my two. Seth was your two. Okay. Yes. So my number one. I did not think this was going to be controversial. I'm getting, I'm getting a creeping sense of dread that this is going to be controversial. Anna comes through like a hurricane and takes her seat at the top of my tier list. Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, this, I'm conflicted, Steve, because I both love and hate this take. So let's have it out. Okay. Um, why do I love the take? Because I love Anna. And uh, she, and you've done a good job making her case throughout the episode. Why do I hate the take, though? Because she is, though she steals the scenes she's in, I find that she is a very, she's a tertiary character in the episode. Mm, okay. 
I would disagree. I mean, so up until this point, yes, if you're if you're calculating screen time for all the characters we've had, she's clearly had the least because this is the first episode she's in. But I think when she she does get a fair amount of screen time in this episode, and she just murders it every time she's on screen. Though that's the, that's my thing. I'm if you're looking at the tier list as like it needs to be. Um, you know, like a calculation of, you know, it's an ongoing thing, which which I we, we're both playing by those rules. And I think is, you know, crucial to having it being interesting, because then when we can look back and see kind of like where it's gone. But in my opinion, for the presence that she has in this episode, she deserves the number one spot. I think she was the most captivating wow. character in this one episode. And I know that the tier list is an ongoing thing, but I don't know the the way she comes in. She totally shakes up, um, you know, the energy. It's the first female, like, um, child. I don't want to call her child, but like the teenage female character that I think is interesting at all. I guess you could make an argument for Marissa up until this point, but you know, the bartometer. You know, I don't know where you land on the bartometer in this episode. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I didn't think middle this of was, the road. Yep, yeah, agreed. this was great or bad. Um, but yeah, Anna just comes in, um, just. Yeah, I don't know. I was really, really taken with her in this episode. And I thought she was the only, you know, taking over Sandy at the number one spot is just going to be difficult for any of these characters throughout the rest of the season. But this was the first time where I was like, I I wish she was on screen more. I wish that they had given her a little bit more. And because when she every time she is, uh, I just just loved her. She does nail she does nail it every time she's on screen. And she's an such an important foil to so many of the characters. Um, talk about a cotillion for Anna. She has stepped onto the stage in Newport as the number one spot in Steve's top five rankings. So let's recap. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to stick of the opinion that it's just a little too far afield to, to have her. As you can see, I loved her and I didn't even have her on my list yeah so, she didn't make your list at all so run your run down your list for me again quick I'm, I'm top to bottom or bottom to top jimmy now of course jimmy i had jimmy anna kirsten like any of those three could have come in at five for me and then julie ryan seth and sandy okay and so i had and jimmy this is even with me loving anna but you're you're, yeah, you're the I, anna stan between the two of us i don't i don't want to i don't want the listeners to get confused here you're <laughs> Uh, these are the takes these are the takes of our lives i I have anna coming in off the bench going all the way to the top um i had jimmy marissa seth sandy coming off the top spot uh at number two and then anna at number one now she's not going to be there for long because like i said before she doesn't show up again for another couple of episodes so maybe that was the other reason i kind of wanted to give her the the shout out now um but yeah hey that's the same logic i applied to ryan last episode so you know what? I can't. I can't find too much fault in your stars for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent episode, top to bottom. We're really we hit the open fields now. We're we're at a run. Fully, and, yes. Uh, this this really did feel like the first episode of the OC to me. Now we've gotten through all the, you know, we've, how is Ryan going to make it into the Cohen household? We're there, and now we're off. It's even called the debut, dude. Yeah, good, good. Uh, um, Anna's debut, the debut of the OC being the show that we all know and love and uh, the debut of the young ladies of Orange County into society, polite society, except not that polite because Jimmy Cooper gets rocked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well said, Steve. So next week, what are you looking out for? What's your cliffhanger? Well, Anna's trip to Tahiti should be fun. Um, I'm excited to see you know what her vessel looks like and uh, just hit the high seas with Anna and forget these uh, you know people of the OC for a little <laughs> while. How about you? Uh, hey, I I kind of want to go on the boat trip now as well, but <laughs> I'm curious about which graphic uh, novels do you think she brings with her. Mm. <laughs> I tried to have a good one. The only one that came to my mind was really sad, though, so I, I didn't even want to bring it up. Hit me with it. It's Oh, God, it's horrible. It's it's actually amazing. It's called Mouse. It's like an oh, allegory yeah. for World War II. If you, listeners, if you Google best graphic novels of all time, Mouse is going to come up near to the one spot. Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to Watchmen. Today is October... 20th 2019 and the dating watch, the show dating watch, the show oh is that a bad thing sorry no i'm kidding <laughs> um the reason i'm doing it is because the watchman uh hbo show premieres tonight and i'm super stoked and so i think anna would have brought a copy a, a well tattered copy of watchman i'm sure she's read it uh you know close to a hundred times if not more by now um but yeah well that's, speculated that's mine <clears throat> uh i'm i'm wondering summer could she get a date can oh, someone man. get this girl a date? <laughs> how does how Left does the one cold. of Newport's most socially engaged and infrequently clothed women <laughs> not have someone that she can sling her arm around? I, it's dazzling. It's baffling. Yeah, good call. Yeah, we'll see. I think the summer. I think the the horizons look bright for summer. I don't know. That's maybe I'm just an optimist. All right, Steve. Excellent episode. Uh, and hey, until next week, take it until you make it. <laughs>